Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. So glad that you're joining me on this Friday broadcast. Well, today I want to talk to you about three paths to happiness, okay? Let me give you these three paths to happiness. But before I do, I was looking at a recent poll, and uh, this is from Barna, and it highlights what's been called our new moral code. And here's the percentage of those who agreed completely or somewhat with the following statements. Here's the first one. The best way to find yourself is to look within yourself. 91% of United States adults agreed with that statement. What kind of surprised me is that 76% of the practicing Christians agreed with that, that the best way to find yourself is just look within, right? I got to find myself within myself, and when I find myself, then I'll be happy, right? Here's the second statement. People should not criticize somebody else's lifestyle choices. In other words, you do you, I do me. I shouldn't criticize your choices. You shouldn't criticize mine. 89% agreed. Now, what surprised me on this one also is that 76% of Christians agree with that statement. Here's another new part of our moral code. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things that you desire most. 86% agreed. 72% of Christians agreed. Here's the next one. The highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. 84% of Americans agreed. 66% of Christians agreed. People can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. 79% agreed. 61% of Christians agreed. This next one kind of blew my mind, right? Any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. 69% agreed. 40% of Christians agreed. So, based on these results, The morality of self-fulfillment is everywhere. It's like the air that we breathe. Much of the time, we don't even notice we're constantly being bombarded with messages that reinforce self-fulfillment. I mean, it's in our music, it's in our videos, uh, it's in our movies, it's in our video games, it's in our apps, it's on TV commercials, it's on TV shows, it's on every kind of media. So we're talking about Three paths to happiness. There's three ways that you can find happiness. Well, number one would be what I would call moral conformity. This is where we just learn to accept yourself. It would be involving redefining sin based upon where the culture is. So I learn to accept myself, the higher standard of me, by following culture for what is acceptable and what is not. I guess you could say, if you really want to be happy, just go along to get along. That is what this survey is kind of indicating where we are as Americans. Secondly would be, I could find happiness through self-discovery. That is learning just to love myself and redefining myself and viewing myself as I think I should be viewed. We kind of see this in our culture today as well. You know, if you really want to know how to love, you got to first learn to love yourself, learning to accept yourself. Don't try to change anything about 
yourself, just accept who you are. Well, there's one other way that is a path to happiness. And I got to admit that, um, you know, going along to get al- getting along and uh, redefining sin is pleasurable for a season. Self-discovery is placing a really difficult standards upon just let live and let be whatever happens, right? Just accept yourself. Don't worry about feeling guilty for what you do. Just go through life. But these two are temporary paths to happiness. If you really want to find long-term happiness, it is involved being surrendered to Christ, living a surrendered life. I want to read a kind of a longer passage of Scripture today in the broadcast, and then uh, I want to give you seven ways why we can really understand true happiness and the true depth of our joy being found. Okay, uh, let's read Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the first fruit of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain, we learn, was angry. His face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do what is wrong, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to Abel, "Uh, Let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are under a curse and you are driven from the ground, which opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You're going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'm going to become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me is going to want to kill me. But the Lord said to him, How not so? Anybody who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. So when we look at this story, there's some stern warnings that are given to us. First John says, Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. 
And why did he murder him? Because of his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. We see that he was driven by jealousy. The story of Cain and Abel is a fascinating story. There are seven subjects that I want to cover as we look at past happiness. Subject number one is why works can't save us. Number two will be how jealousy destroys us. Number three is how our heart controls us. Number four will be how pride condemns us. Number five is how God restores us. And number six, we'll look at why our actions reveal our beliefs. Let's look at number one. Why works can't save us. Good works cannot undo evil. Now, Cain's offering revealed that he desired to be redeemed by the works of his hands. Time passed. Cain brought an offering to God from the produce of his farm. Abel also brought an offering, but from the firstborn animals of his herd. He gave the choice cuts of meat. And now good works cannot save us because as we look at these good works, they are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. Isaiah 64, verse 6. They are done by you to make yourself self-righteous. Our good works have absolutely no effect on our salvation. As we look at the good works, Jesus gives a parable in Matthew chapter 21, and he gives a parable about two sons. One son goes out and he works. The other son doesn't work. But when we look at the context of the story, we see uh, there's a man, and he says to his first son, go and work in my vineyard. But he says, I'm not going to do it. But later he changed his mind. He repented, and he went. Then the father goes to the other son and says the same thing. And he says, yes, sir, I will go out and I'll work. But he never goes. Then he answers to the one that he's giving this. Who do you think is acceptable? The one that repented. When we look at how God accepts us, Jesus goes so far to say that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of everybody else. He announced to the religious authorities of his days that they were not entering the kingdom of heaven because they thought they could get there by being righteous. C.S. Lewis, when he was thinking about the words of Jesus, saying that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, he says, prostitutes are no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. They know where their end is going to take them. I guess one of the reasons I so enjoy working with inmates is because they are a little more transparent about their lot in life. They know they have messed up. But C.S. Lewis concludes that the prideful, the self-righteous, they are the ones that are in danger that they cannot please God because they're trying to do it on a self-righteous way. First Peter 1 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that you inherited from your forefathers, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. You see, if we're depending upon our righteousness to get us to heaven, 
we are actually being a disgrace to the blood of Jesus Christ. If we could have been redeemed any other way other than the shedding of the blood of Christ, don't you think God would have come up with a way? But there's only one way for us to be redeemed. It's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Subject number two, jealousy is what destroys us. And now Cain's offering being rejected didn't create jealousy. It revealed his jealousy. You see, Cain was really angry at God, but he took it out on Abel. Somebody outperforming you doesn't make you jealous. Somebody outperforming you reveals your jealousy. Genesis 4-5 says that God liked Abel in his offering, but Cain in his offering didn't get God's approval. Cain lost his temper, and he went away and he sulked. Cain centered his life and all of his identity on his work and on his career, on what he could produce. He was a driven workaholic, but a shallow person. When his project was rejected, he felt rejected, and jealousy took over. You see, when we are mad at God, we often take it out of those who like him most or look like him most. You ever wonder why Christians are persecuted? Those who are most persecuted for the cause of Christ are the ones who look most like Christ. They resent Christ, and so they take it out on his followers. I guess it's kind of like if I can't get to a person, I'll get to their children. You know, one of the things I always prayed that God would protect my children, that they would be protected from the hurls of insult and from evil that that is so rampant in our culture today, and it even sometimes gets into the church. You know, when I think about the most faithful person at church every Sunday, it's probably the devil and his angels. They show up every week, and they sow discord among the brethren. So I would always pray, Lord, would you protect my children? From evil. Jesus actually gives us a model prayer. And part of that model prayer is to be praying that God will deliver us from evil. Well, there's a third subject that we look at when we look at the story of Cain and Abel. Number one is we look at the subject that works can't save us. And number two, jealousy destroys us. And you're never going to be happy when you're filled with jealousy. Number three, our hearts control us. You see, Cain's words didn't make his heart hard. Cain's words revealed his heart. Genesis 4.8, Cain had words with his brothers. They were out in the field. Cain came at Abel, his brother, and he killed him. You know, the Bible consists of different books. And these books, these 66 books, are comprised of 1,189 chapters. And these chapters are comprised of 31,173 verses. The shortest of all of these verses is Jesus wept. Over 400 years ago, a guy by the name of Robert Stevens, just happened to be a Frenchman, he sat down and he divided the Bible into chapters and into verses. And now for some reason known only to him, when he came to the 11th chapter of John's gospel, 
He divided it into such a way that the verse consists of only two words, Jesus wept. Now, why did he make John 11.35 its own verse? Because this verse reveals the heart of Jesus. You know, when I wrote this sermon, I was going to do a service for one of the members within our church. And I had visited this woman and her husband on Friday afternoon, and then she passed away on Saturday. And for over 70 years, this couple was together. And now this man has had to say goodbye to his wife. He told me over and over again, the favorite words of his wife, I love you. I love you. I love you. It was a revelation of her heart. When Jesus wept, he was saying to the family of Lazarus, I love you. You know, the Bible says that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, but an evil man brings up evil things of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You remember that little song we used to sing? Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. It's so important that we're careful about what we say because it reveals our hearts. You see, our hearts control us. Subject number four. When pride condemns us, pride hides, but only for a short time. You know, the uh, cameras in the prison have hidden areas but it's got enough coverage that we can figure out what happens when something goes awry. And we can put the pieces of the puzzle together, even with those blind spots, those hidden areas. A Cain's sin of murder didn't separate him from God. His pride did. You see, the hidden camera would reveal that he was filled with pride. God knew this, and so God says, Hey, Cain, If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do what is not right, sin is crouching at your door. You don't see it yet, but it's there in the hidden areas of your life. It desires to have you. It desires to rule over you. But if you will do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if you refuse not to do what is right, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It is eager to control you but you must subdue it. You must be its master or it will master you. God said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Uh, How should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? You see, Abel was driven by pride. You know, when I think about the issue of pride, God put a mark on Cain not a curse on him. He protected him. God didn't kill Cain, but Cain had a hard time fitting in, so he became a wanderer. Number five, Uh, we talked about works can't save us. Jealousy controls us. Our heart that is out of control is a heart that's in trouble. Pride condemns us. Number five is God wants us to be restored. And what can't be restored God always replaces. 
You see, God always replaces what the enemy steals from us. Adam and Eve lost a son. Cain killed Abel. But God replaced that son. Adam slept with his wife, and she had a son and named him Seth. And she said, God has given me another child in the place of Abel, whom Cain killed. And then Seth had a son whose name was Enoch. It's that time when men and women began praying and worshiping in the name of God. You see, God is doing something miraculous in the midst of murder, in the midst of a lost life. God brings a replacement. God replaces what the enemy stole, and his name is Seth, which means given to me in place of. God gives a replacement, and Seth is used as the one who brings the hearts of men and women praying and worshiping God. Unbelievable. You know, the Harvard Center of Development and Children released in a study It says every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. It may not have been a parent, but they had somebody that was committed and supportive in their lives. The availability of at least one stable, caring, supportive relationship between a child and an adult caregiver. And because of this, you're giving a sense of mastery over life circumstances. Are you giving a, a strong executive function to be able to self-regulate? You see the supportive context of an affirming, faithful, and cultural traditions are so important. That's why God gave Adam and Eve Seth to take that place of Abel. Well, there's one last point I've got to cover today in the broadcast. And that is that our actions reveal our beliefs. What we believe is always proven by our actions. We learn that Abel, who brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain, he was blessed. That God noticed that and he approved of that righteousness. John Piper tells a story of physical healing that took place in the 19th century. Uh, in English pastor Charles Simeon. In 1807, after 25 years of ministry, Pastor Simeon's health began to fail. His voice gave way so that preaching was very difficult, and at times he could only speak in a whisper. He wrote that after preaching a sermon, he would feel more like one dead than alive. This broken condition lasted for 13 years. Till he was 60 years old. In all this time, Pastor Simeon pressed on in his work. The way this weakness came to an end is remarkable and shows the amazing hand of God in Simeon's life. It passed away quite suddenly without any evident physical cause. He tells a story in 1819. He was on his last visit to Scotland. He's crossed the border and he says that he was in his strength and his strength was revived, and there's a woman there, and he's reminded of that woman who, in the Bible, touched the hem of the Lord's garment. The interpretation of God's providence in that beginning 
is that he was weak. Up until then, he promised himself that he'd be very active up until age 60, and then a Sabbath evening. Now we seem to hear the master saying, lay aside that desire. You've entertained that satisfaction long enough, but you have arrived at the very period that you had promised yourself that satisfaction and have determined instead to spend the strength uh, that you have the latest hour of your life. I have double, triple, quadrupled your strength so that you may exercise and execute your desire on a more extended plan. So at age 60, with a renewed commitment, he continued on preaching till he died at the age of 77. You see, we ought to pray every day. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway of peace. Taking as Jesus did in this sinful world, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.